We're in Exodus chapter 3, and uh, this is a great passage. So, beginning in verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you. And this sign, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. This is the holy word of God. Please be seated. Church in the book of Exodus, the great story of the deliverance of the people of Israel out of slavery and bondage in Egypt which is a picture of what God does for us in delivering us out of slavery and bondage to sin. is a remarkable story. And in this passage, not only does the, the rescue begin, but it is the fundamental passage in all of Scripture about the name of God, the names of God. Now, Exodus 1 and 2, Israel is oppressed by Egypt. They are enslaved. Uh, They are now uh, subject to infanticide of their little baby boys. I mean, it's horrible. And at the end of that section, chapter 2, verse 23, 
We read, during those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry to rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. Now, church, those emphatic verbs there. God saw, God heard, God remembered, God knows. And their great suffering and pain and affliction, God saw them and God knew. And church, don't you know that when we are suffering, when we are going through tough times, when we feel overwhelmed with whatever is so challenging to us, that the same thing is true for us? God sees you this morning, whatever you're going through. God hears when you cry to him. He hears. He remembers his relationship with you. He knows all that's in, in, in your heart. This is the God that we serve. He is the God who hears, who sees, who knows, and as we see later, who intervenes. This is the God we serve. Okay. That's how the last passage ends. And then the next passage, here is Moses out in the middle of nowhere. This is what happened in Exodus 2 that we did not read when he's 40 years old. Remember, he, he grows up in Pharaoh's court because Pharaoh's daughter rescued him out of the Nile. So he's like the prince of Egypt. But one day, he murders an Egyptian who is abusing and beating a fellow Jew. And he has to flee the land. Because the word gets out. For 40 years, he has been away from the court, away from Egypt, out in the boonies with, with, with Midian's land, and he's become a shepherd, the most despised occupation of the Egyptians, you know, beneath them. But this is who he is. He is a shepherd of his father-in-law's sheep. Now, from Midian, which is... Um, you know, uh, really on the other side of the Sinai Peninsula today, he would go about three weeks' journey up to the region of Horeb, which is the same thing in the Bible as Sinai, Mount Sinai. And he is about three weeks away. Maybe, you know, there's more grass out there. And, and, and he's just out there doing his business, minding his business, taking care of the flock all by himself, when one day God shows up. And we read about it in verse 2, the remarkable passage that every Sunday school student learns. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. So can you imagine you're out in this arid, uh, deserty area. Some of you have been to Israel. You know how uh, arid just that land is, and it'll be the same here uh, near Horeb. This bush is out there, and it bursts into flames, but it doesn't burn up. It's just burning, and Moses is just, whoa. You can imagine his jaw drops, and, and he's just intently looking at that thing. And it says that the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame of fire. Who is the angel of the Lord? Well, in the Old Testament, there are angels of the Lord, but from time to time, there is this special, the angel of the Lord, and, and he's used almost interchangeably with God. So apparently, it is the, the, uh, God taking angelic form. 
uh, the Bible would call that a theophany when God takes an appearance. Or most likely, not God the Father, but God the Son takes this angelic form. So it's a Christophany. And it's God, as becomes clear in a bit. So, so God speaks to Moses. Moses stops and checks it out. And God says to him in verse 4, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, he knows your name. And he said, here I am, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. If God shows up, it's holy ground. Holy ground. Take your sandals off. Now, we wouldn't dare come into this building hardly in a worship service with bare feet because, you know, good thing because some of us have smelly feet. But, you know, for that situation and that day, you know, get your sandals off your feet. This is holy ground. Don't come near because God is the holy God. As Isaiah would later hear the seraphim saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Church, we have no idea of the unfathomable greatness and the holiness and the majesty and the beauty and the brilliance and the splendor of our God. The eternal, sovereign, holy God. Don't come near. Now, because He is so holy... We just can't treat him casually and just kind of come near because of our sin. And the main emphasis in the Old Testament about our relationship with God is distance. There is distance between us and God. Watch it all through the Old Testament. That's why you have to have sacrifice after sacrifice. That's why you can't just kind of rush into the holy of holy places in the tabernacle or the temple because God is holy. There's distance. But one day... As fulfilled by every sacrifice of the animals, God himself, God the Son, the Lamb of God, would step out of eternity, become a man so that he could die in our place. And he dies on that cross, and the, the temple curtain between the holy place and the holy of holies is torn in two. And God says, come near, come on. You can come near now because sin has been paid for. And now the motif in the New Testament for you and God is no longer distance, it is nearness. It's nearness. Ephesians 2.13 perhaps states it best and most succinctly. When it says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Jesus paid it all. Church is amazing that you can talk with holy God and he can listen because of your sin and his holiness. But Jesus paid it all. And now you're whiter than snow. It's the best news ever. Okay, back to this passage. Pre-cross. Moses. And just stay back. Never forget the holiness of God. And in Exodus 3, I mean Exodus 19, when Moses leads the people back through the same place to Mount Sinai, same as Mount Horeb. And God appears on the mountain to give the law, the Ten Commandments. Remember what God says, you know, uh, tell the people to stay back. Don't touch the mountain because of the holiness of God. Isaiah 6, I've already mentioned the holiness of God. Isaiah, Isaiah, Isaiah is undone. 
the temple curtain, six inches thick, separating the holy place from the holy of holies, uh, symbolizing the main presence of God on earth. Nobody goes in there. Holy God. No wonder. Hebrews 12, 31 reminds us even today, our God is a consuming fire. The holy, holy God. And yet, our sins have been paid for, and we can come near. All righty. So, Moses, standing there, no doubt, with his jaw hanging open. And verse 6, God says, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Whenever we were in the presence of God, you know, we were uh, uh, just undone by his presence and his beauty and his holiness. And Moses, aware of his sin, hid his face. I'm reminded of the Garden of Eden when it says that Adam and Eve sinned, and then it says that they hid from God because they were afraid. Because of our sin makes us afraid. But you and I in Christ, we no longer have to be afraid of God, do we? You know that song that we love to sing, I am no longer a slave to fear because I am a child of God. And Romans 8.15 states it so beautifully. When it says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Church, that's who we are. Now, God is still just as holy, but he has made us holy in Jesus. Not what we've done, but what Christ did on the cross that we celebrate every week with communion. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We are no longer slaves of fear. Because God has wiped out the sin barrier. All righty. He's telling who he is. Moses is hiding his face. God says to him, verse 7, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them. Isn't that the same thing as we read in the end of chapter 2? I see them. I hear their cry. I know what's going on, and I have come down to deliver them. Now, church, think with me about this. The Israelites back in the slavery, you know, they're just groaning and groaning, and in their minds, no doubt, they're thinking, the skies are brass. God doesn't hear us. We've been crying out forever. Did God hear them? Did God see them? You bet he did. His eyes were upon them the whole time. Think about a, a mother of a newborn. The first service, I happened to see a couple of newborns, you know, a week or a few weeks old, coming in at the same time. Those moms just smilingly, their eyes are on them. Any cry, they hear them. Friends, that's how God is with you and with me. And sometimes it seems like maybe the skies are brass and God doesn't hear us because God's not on our timetable. And, and no doubt the Israelites felt that way. But God was already in motion. I mean, God had already calling Moses to come deliver the people, and they didn't know it. It could be this morning. Whatever is the biggest challenge in your life, the biggest suffering, biggest hurt, and you've been crying out and crying out, it could be that God's already set things in motion to deliver you. Don't give up. Don't give up. Whatever God's timing is, God sees you and your affliction. God hears when you cry out to him. He knows all about it, and he will come down to rescue us. Friends, that is true. That is true of your greatest need. That is your sin problem. 
He came down in Jesus. But that is true of your daily problems and challenges. Church, what is your biggest problem right now, today? What is your, what is your biggest fear? God knows. God sees. God hears you. And God will rescue you. He will see you through. His time, His way. God will see you through. All right. So God is underscoring again that He sees and knows. Then in verse 10, He comes to the bottom line. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. That is the last thing in the world that Moses wanted to hear. That I have to go back to that place where I am wanted for murder and tell Pharaoh my people are leaving. So he objects. In fact, today and next week we're going to see in five different ways he argues with God, challenges God, prevaricates with God, tries to wiggle out of that situation with God. I mean, he's, anything he can. He doesn't want to go. Now, that's a little surprising to me. I mean, I can, you know, see the reluctance of, I mean, the going to Pharaoh, but, but if God shows up to you and the bush is on fire and is God speaking to you, man, you think, well, I'll, I'll do something here. But, but, but Moses had such reluctance that he begins to kind of challenge him. This is what he says first, five, first to five. We'll see two of them today. Eleven, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? I mean, who am I? And, and there is humility in that. Although he had been in the court himself, the prince of Egypt. So there's some reason. But his first response, who am I that I could do that? You know, he's no longer that prince of Egypt anymore. He is a shepherd on the backside of nowhere. Who who could I do? And what does God say in verse 12? But I will be with you. Doesn't matter, Moses, who am I? But I will will be with you. Now, church, of all the promises of God to us, it seems to me that in some ways that is the most foundational promise wrapping up all the other promises of God. If God is going to be with us, then whatever it is, we can, we can take it. We can make it through. And God says to Moses, but I will be with you. So what does it matter if you're not qualified or you're not competent or you're scared to death? I will be with you. Church, in the Psalm, in the 23rd Psalm, isn't that David's heart when he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. You will be with me. And isn't that Jesus' statement to us when he calls us, all of us, to make disciples? And what does he say in verse 20? And I will be with you always to the end of the age. So church, what does that mean? That means in your greatest struggle, in your greatest fear, in your greatest hurt, in your greatest loneliness, whatever you're going through, God says, but I will be with you. Now, if Jesus would just become incarnate right before our eyes, we would be okay, (laughs) wouldn't we? Well, he's just as present there, spiritually but not physically in the Holy Spirit. He's just as present. And we've got to take it to the bank. I will be with you. If that's not true, the whole thing's not true. But it's true. 
I, you got cancer now, I will be with you. You're scared to death about your teenager, I will be with you. I will be with you. It's like the, the Indian tribe who had the, when the braves, the little boys got 13 years old, they were blindfolded at night, taken out in the way out in the middle of the darkness. Now, 13 years old isn't that old. And, and they're left alone until the next morning. And can you imagine that every sound they hear out there, that's a wolf, every twig, there's a bear coming. Can you imagine, you know, scared to death, petrified, the night slowly creeps by. The next morning, the, the first rays of sunlight light up the place, and the, the, the 13-year-old boy looks over, and there's his dad not five feet away, and he had never been more than five feet away with drawn bow and arrow the whole night. Friends, that is your God. You may not know he's there, but he is. I will be with you. And that's what God says to Moses, and that's what God says to you. I will be with you. Now, you think that okay, that would do it for him. No, that's not enough. All right. Then Moses said to God, well, if I come, get that, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, well, what's his name? What shall I say to them? Now, God, I mean, Moses and the Israelites, they knew his name. In fact, they knew the general name Elohim, rendered in our translations by the word God, and they knew the personal name Yahweh. In fact, if you look earlier in the passage, chapter 3, verse 4, it says, When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him. Whenever in the English translations you see the word LORD in all caps, they're small caps, but they're all caps, the English translations invariably are translating the word Yahweh, the Hebrew name that God's about to explain. Now, if it is Lord with little letters, that would be a translation of Adonai, which has the meaning of master. But the majestic personal name, Lord. So they already knew it. And by the way, whenever you see God, that's Elohim, which is just kind of the general name for God. So they already knew this name. So what is Moses saying? He's saying, Lord, what does your name mean? Tell me about your name. Now, you got to understand that the names of the Hebrews uh, had meaning. Now, names mean something to us. Uh, Callie and Paul are about to have our second daughter, about to have a baby. And they've been working on that name for that baby for months and months. In fact, it seems to me like for about the last 20 years, Callie has been thinking about names for babies one day. So, you know, that, that's important to, to some folks. But for the Hebrews, it has meaning. Abram, your name is Abraham because that means father of many nations. Um, Jacob, uh, your name, which means deceiver, is now going to be changed to Israel, striving with God because of the wrestling match. Uh, Gideon, mighty warrior. You know, that identity, that nature uh, in the New Testament. P uh, Simon, you're Peter, which means rock. You're Cephas, you're Peter, you're rock. Uh, it means things. So what does this mean, Lord? What's the inner meaning of it? 14. Catch this answer. God said to Moses, he's just been asked, what's your name? God said to Moses, I am who I am. Now, that's an unusual answer. Okay, you ask somebody's name, and they simply say, I am who I am. You know, it's almost just like saying, I'm, I'm kind of beyond names. I am, I am the, the independent 
sovereign God. I don't define myself in relationship to any other person, any other object. I am the, the primary, uncaused, first cause over all things that take relationship from me. I am. I am who I am. The eternal, the independent, the sovereign one. God, holy, different than anybody else. Moses, you want to know my name? I am who I am. Now, it's an interesting thing. It's uh, just like in English, it is the Hebrew verb to be, hayah. And uh, he's just saying, I am who I am. A couple of things about it. Uh, I think it's deliberately uh, pregnant with meaning and, and kind of elusive. But the, um, just stick with me for a few moments. I know some of you, you know, were glad to be done with grammar forever. But the Hebrew word... For I am, first person, singular, present tense, is, uh, is right here. But it is the same exact word as the first person, singular, future tense. So the word could be translated either I am, present tense, or I will be, future tense. Now the thing about here is most likely I am who I am and not I will be who I will be, but in verse 12 that I just read to you, that God is such a thing, I will be, that's the same word. I will be with you. It's the same word. So probably God is also reminding us, and I am the God who says, I will be there with you. I am the eternal, holy, independent, sovereign God, and I will be with you. And then he says in verse 14, tell them I am has sent me to you. Now, in the New Testament, who calls himself I am? Who uses that term, I am? Well, in the Gospel of John, the only gospel written to non-Christians to really show them who God is, is carefully, uh, beautifully crafted to take seven of his miracles, seven the perfect number of God, take seven and only seven miracles, and it has seven of his messages and seven of his I am statements. I am the vine. I'm the door. I'm the good shepherd. Seven of those I am shepherds. And in John 8, 58, he is in an argument with the religious leaders. And he says, and he knew that they'd understand, before Abraham was, I am. And they got it. I, Jesus is saying, that's who I am. I, I, I am. I am. The eternal one who always is. And then in 15, he follows it by saying, God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord. That is the same verb form, most likely, we're not completely sure, of hayah, except third person singular. It's like saying he is. But it's the same form of this word that we uh, translate Yahweh. Yahweh. And he's saying, that's what we, how we translate it. Tell them that the Lord, remember all caps, that refers to Yahweh. Yahweh is the one who has sent me. Tell them that. He's the God of your fathers. Church, what is God wanting Moses to know and understand about him? What is God wanting the people of Israel to know and understand when Moses brings the word to them. What is God wanting you and me this morning to understand about him? That he is none other than the eternal, sovereign, holy, 
independent, self-existent, sovereign God of all glory. He is the eternal I am. And you better take your shoes off because the ground is holy. But he is also underscoring, he is not only I am, but I will be with you. And twice earlier in the passage, he is saying to them, and I hear your cries. Yes, I'm the sovereign, holy, infinite God, but I hear your cries. And I see your suffering. And I know all that you're going through, and I will come in and rescue you. God did it mainly in Jesus when he came, God the Son, to rescue us from our sin. He came down to rescue us. But in all of our other challenges and struggles, God is saying to us this morning, I hear your cries when you cry to me. So are you crying out to God? Keep crying. Not on, not on your timetable. He's not your genie. He is your God. I see. I hear. I care. I know. And I will be with you. Church, what a God. What a God. Stand with me. Lord, we bless you. We bow before you in our hearts and bless you. We thank you that you, the holy, holy, holy God, that before whom we deserve eternal punishment for our sins, that you have poured out grace in your son Jesus and saved us. And Lord, we take now these simple elements, very simple elements, to remind us that we have received Jesus the one who is the bread of life, the one who shed his blood. Oh, we wonder. Friend, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, if you didn't know that God is so holy, but yet in his love he sent his son to die for you, you know it now. Breathe a prayer. Jesus, come and save me. Come and save me.